Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before this podcast begins, everyone at Roker Report would like to offer their deepest sympathies and condolences to the family and friends of Louise Wanless, a fiercely loyal and hard-working woman deeply loved and respected not only by those associated with the Sunderland AFC family, but far beyond. From clubs and staff across the footballing pyramid, to players, managers, officials, pundits, journalists, broadcasters and so many more. She touched a great many lives and the tributes flooding in since the news of her passing shows just how much of an impact she had as an ambassador for our club, for women in football and for the wider region. She will be sorely missed by all who knew her. Rest in peace. Hello and welcome to the Roker Rapport podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name is Rich Spate and I'm here in Wales on a windy hillside. So if you hear any background noise, I think it's it's uh, the wind rustling through the trees. And I'm also joined on this special uh, podcast today by Dave Rose of the Red and White Army Supporters Trust and the Footballer Supporters Association. Uh, how are things, Dave? Yeah, good. Well, I, I'm I'm on here um, from a very sunny and uh, hot Silksworth, actually, so enjoying the weather and enjoying a little bit of a break from the season. And uh, obviously, we, you know, we weren't at the stadium alive very much at all, um, just the one game, but it's still nice to to take a break from the, the the anxiety and heartache that uh, following Sunderland brings. Yeah, I mean, you you were back at the stadium of light for the playoff semis. I couldn't get up for it. What did you make of the day overall? The atmosphere and just like kind of getting back into the ritual of it. Well, it was it was obviously class to be back, and um, I t- took my son, uh, who's fourteen now, and um, we were pleased that we could get the tickets, and we. Did a little bit of a traditional routine of just dodging for a bite to eat in the pub. Met a few family and friends who were staying around the the bar to, to watch the match on the TV. And we, you know, it was just nice to do that walk over the over the town bridge. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, albeit it was sparse crowds walking over there, it still give you that little feeling back and that feeling of anticipation. Even popped in the way chief for a couple and listened to a, uh, a hearty rendition of Cheer Up Peter Reid from a few blokes in the corner. So that was. It was good crack, and uh, I it was just just nice to be back. And then in the ground, I mean, club handled it very very well. The, the safety officer and his team 
done a, a massive job in preparing for it and it showed um, it was easy to get in. You knew exactly which way around you had to walk around the concourses and queue for the toilets and things like that. But I guess more importantly, it was just amazing to sample a bit of the atmosphere again and remember what it's like. And there was only 10,000 in there, but it, it genuinely felt like a hell of a lot more. And that, that surprised us. Because you imagine, you know, like 10,000 spread right up to the upper mm-hmm. concourse and all of that as well. And But still, yeah, made a, made a good racket. Definitely sounded like it on the telly when I was watching it. It sounded like those 40,000 in there and uh and yeah everyone was in, enjoying themselves well at least for the first half wasn't it but it, it ended up being a disappointing end of the season um and subsequently we've kind of seen some bold moves in terms of releasing senior players like like max power we've had encouraging words about kind of promotion of some of the under 23s and we've also had the good news that the ladies team has gained what they call it up, upward movement isn't it to the uh, to the women's championship, do you may, remain generally kind of positive, despite obviously the setback we've had uh, about the direction of the club in in general, in in the football in terms in particular? Yeah, I mean, I don't think many people would have argued with uh, the retention list and who we who we let go. Um, I mean, some you know fans have different views on this, so it's, it's you never want to get too drawn into it from a supporters group point of view because. You know, talk to 10 different people, you get 10 different opinions. But generally speaking, there was no real massive surprises in there, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that we seem to have um, a settled approach and staffing and plan and that we recruit seem to be recruiting backroom staff uh, where there's been, you know, massive gaps and voids from previous years, I think that, that's got to be encouraging. Um, and that, well, looking like we've got a plan and a consistent approach and as with all these things, though, we've been hurt so many times and we've had so many false dawns, I think as a, as a fan base, we're a bit battle-hardened and cynical. So um, I, I don't think I'd be alone in thinking, well, it all sounds good and we're going to be positive about it, but the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a big summer, isn't it? And um, obviously there's going to be lots of ins and outs and there's still things to be decided in terms of whether there's going to be a, a salary cap and things like that but it does bring us on to kind of the financial side of things obviously with the Red and White Army uh, Sports Trust having the, the meeting the other day as part of the structured dialogue and alongside the other groups you looked at the finances in general though are you kind of convinced that Kirill Louis-Dreyfus really does mean what he says when he turned in in terms of the cost cutting is going to be finished, or as he described it, the asset stripping, that that's really coming to an end. I think um, we talk about the proof of the pudding on the on the plain side of things, and I think we can already see some actual proof more than words around mm. that. Uh, when we had the the meeting with them on the twenty sixth or a couple of weeks ago, at the structured dialogue meeting. Uh, we did ask that question. We we referenced the fact that we'd had the I think the smallest capital expenditure in the League One mm-hmm. in the last set of accounts, and we asked what's been done to to address this and to 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 reverse that trend. Uh, and the answer was a pretty solid one. There's already uh, work under being undertaken at the academy, uh, some structural stuff. Uh, obviously, the staffing side we talked about, but also just. Um, facilities and things like that and changing things around making it more a better environment uh, for coaching staff and for the players also at the stadium of light actually doing the whole of the uh, corporate area i believe like 
I think I think it's been the same since the stadium opened, pretty mm. much. So the boxes and uh, like so, the imagine the Jimmy Montgomery Suite and all of that that area. Um, they're already started on that. I think work started on that the evening after the playoff semi. So that's really good to hear. That's I know it's we're, what we're all bothered about is what happens on the pitch, but it's an it's a it's an indicator, isn't it, that when they're doing things like that, that actually the the main business they're not they're here to you would hope for a, a reasonable amount of time. They're not looking to just come in and and uh, look at it short term. Otherwise, they wouldn't be investing that in those sort of things. So that's that's encouraging. Yeah, it really is. And obviously, we've seen the pitch being pulled up as well straight after the. Yes. The semi and he's he's had that uh, new lighting rig on order, which I think uh, was was spotted being delivered as well by somebody. So I mean, there's lots of good signs there, isn't there? So it's been a really interesting, traumatic year for many people, a very uh, odd year for a football fan. And over the course of the last year, Red and White Army's been transformed into Sports Trust, and you and the rest of the committee have kind of managed that process. How does it feel to have completed it? Uh, a massive relief, just to get rid of rid of the admin side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, was uh, it's not really why you get into this sort of thing. You know, you you want them to help with positive change with the club and get fans' opinions and be that sort of uh, voice and that conduit as best you can. So, um, if anybody sold the idea of fan activism on the basis that you've got a lot of bureaucracy and uh, <laughs> administrative hoops to jump through, you probably wouldn't bother. But no, it's, it's good that it's out of the way. Uh, we're registered with the FCA now. We are Sunderland's first ever supporters trust, which, um, you know, for those involved in, in making that happen, I don't want to overstate its importance, but it's just nice to have been part of that. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully it'll be looked back on as a bit of a sort of watershed moment in terms of fan activism in the area and having like a solid voice that is um, very accountable very open and very inclusive. I think we were anyway. Uh, I think we built that up quite a lot, whether you support the Red and White Army or not. From its inception, we've really tried hard to be as representative as possibly can be and be as um, diplomatic and professional with the club as we can be, but also making sure that we represent views. And sometimes those views have been pretty um, strong Mm -hmm. because of where we've been these past few years. So it was a both the best time and the worst time to launch a sports organisation, really. And in a similar way, going on to convert to a trust, uh, strange to do it in the middle of a pandemic. That's not what we anticipated, but it was the right time to do it. Uh, People were getting at the wit's end a little bit with the previous uh, majority ownership. Um, It was getting more and more difficult. So I think it was uh, an easy sell, if I was to put it that way, to say you know, now's the time to just firm all this up. This having an organised supporters group. Let's let's convert to a trust, and you never know what's going to be around the corner for a club. So it's best to at least have that sitting there, ready to act. Yeah, should we need it. Totally. I mean, it was. I think it was February last year when I first spoke to you about about Red and White Army. We we did an interview for the website, and and we spoke about actually whether converting to a trust would be on the agenda and it moved up the agenda quite fast really didn't it and and it was in the absence of the the day-to-day business of a supporters trust really in terms of the the structured dialogue meetings which had broken down by that point and that was a bit of the catalyst really wasn't it but that's right you've had the first couple of structured dialogue meetings since the new regimes took over how have they gone from the perspective of red and white army we can see the minutes but can you give us kind of a sense of 
change in approach or how the approach might differ from the way it did under uh, Donald and Metfin? Yeah, I think like some things are the same. Uh, we're operating on the same terms of reference between the club and the supporter groups, the essence of which is uh, we agree the agenda together, we agree the minutes together, so um, it's all sort of fair and upfront. Um, so we're working on that basis still. Um, it's probably fairer to compare it with the earlier days of, of Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin's uh, meetings, which which Charlie was uh, sort of the, the the main guy from the club's point of view on those. And they were quite open in, in terms of it. We could ask anything we wanted at the time. But I think the big difference um, in starting out with the new regime is that they've been a very well prepared and professional basically created like a bespoke presentation for us as supporter groups. So you can see there's a bit of thought went into it. It's not just a up oh, it's uh today's the day of the fans meeting, let's let's, you know, get along there and hear what they've got to say. They've actually put a bit of thought into it. And that's nice. That that shows that there's a a bit of a commitment there. So that's been good. I think it's been difficult because we've had one on Zoom, which was very difficult and it was an introductory meeting anyway. And then we've had one sort of in the flesh at the Stadium of Light. But even then because of social distancing, we've had, we had to be all on different tables. So it, it wasn't conducive to like a a, a bit more of a conversation and flow. Um, but that, that's not anyone's fault, that. Uh, but what I would say, they've been very professional, um, very welcoming, they're, they're listening. Um, and I think there's a, been a couple of little bumps where there could have been a bit more consultation on one or two things. But uh, there's there's a steep learning curve, I'm sure, for those that have come in to understand Sunderland, the club, to pick up the pieces of what's been left. And also, still in a pandemic as well, so mm-hmm. it's obviously going to be a challenge for for those new guys coming in in terms of Steve Davidson and, and Christian Speakman. But yeah, it was good, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Great. I mean, there's obviously been a lot of lot of change, a lot of change in personnel. And uh, yeah, and maybe there's a, the, everyone needs to get it on their agenda, that consultation with the club is... Uh, and with the club's fans, sorry, is really Im- important. Um, whatever part of the the club you you're working in, maybe. Um, what do you think are the the most kind of pressing questions that remain unanswered at the club right now? In, when I looked at the minutes, it seemed to skirt around the issue of the kind of the precise breakdown of share ownership, and that seems to have caused some concern amongst fans in general. And also the notion that some decisions made at the club require more than just KLD's agreement and is obviously, um, you know, and Satori and, and maybe Donald and Metfin need to be consulted on certain things. These these seem to be the big questions that we've had back through letters and social media. Are they the most pressing issues? I think that's one of the pressing issues, yeah. It's to to understand what that dynamic is. We we asked the initial questions and set out what were the initial concerns from that we had from fans because it's inevitable there's going to be concerns about um um, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin still pulling any strings or anything like that. They are still shareholders, mm-hmm. and uh, along with Juan Satori, it's like believed to be around about forty percent. So, yeah, I guess there would be an expectation for them to have some representation on the on the board. Um, I, that's something we need to keep an eye on as an organisation and delve a little deeper on. Um, I think we sort of pushed that line of questioning as much as was comfortable for everyone, um, and we'll just have to to watch and see and hope for the there won't be too much cause for concern going forward. But uh, that is something that fans ask us about all the time. So we're very conscious of that. Um, and we won't shirk 
any questions like that. Nor do we want a point score and drag over the past either. That's not what we're about. Uh, got new people in, they don't want to do that either. But whilst they are still shareholders, there is still pertinent questions to be asked around that, I think. Definitely. I mean, trust is such an important currency in the relationship between clubs and, and fans and and building that trust, I think, is is it's going to be important and that's a that's a, a really key point for for well for me and for lots of other fans in terms of just Absolutely. the understand it's just understanding isn't it it's not it's not necessarily looking to beat anyone over the fact that we know we know they've still got shares and we know we yeah. know we know why they've still got them because there's a potential of them making money isn't there um but Absolutely. i mean obviously we've been through a hell of a lot over the last few years not just with Donald and Matt firm which Ella Short as well um, and all that's kind of resulted in the trust being formed. But the the European Super League debacle seems to put kind of rocket boosters underneath the fan movement in England and, and across the rest of Europe. And I think more people than ever really aware of the Football Supports Association, Fans Europe, and just supports trusts in general. Um, and especially the idea of like fan representation on boards. Um it was on the agenda at the the recent meeting, obviously the the kind of the the, the fan led review of football, which I know uh, working for the FSA, you've you've got a good knowledge of. And there's going to be a is it a working group set up between the club and the and the fan collective? Is that right? Yeah, I think it was. It's obviously a big subject, so we're never going to sort of resolve a way forward uh, on a fan on the board, which was the particular part of the the fan led review. Uh, link that the the club had, were interested in talking about after the red and white army had raised it, um, and I think it's it's good that there's a commitment to, to have some open discussions, and I think it's a bit of a um, keeping an eye on what's happening with the fan led review, looking at what other clubs are doing, but uh, I also don't think they need to wait for the fan led review outcomes. I think um, if we're talking about a club that wants to operate transparently and and respectfully with the supporters, then out of the tens of thousands of football fans I follow Sunderland, there's capable people mm-hmm. who could do a job um, in an independent manner um, and it, with the required skills, either the experience of boards or how they run or um, finances or whatever it might be. But but even then, I think if you've just got the, the, the right person with the right mindset, but then with fans around them who they can tap in for that expertise and they, they act as a conduit on the board just as Red and White Army do in these structured dialogue meetings. And I can see it working. I think the the challenge with it is it would be a bloody hard job for any individual fan to do. Um, yeah. You have to sign uh, non-disclosure agreements for certain things. Um, you will have limits to what influence you've got. Uh, you'll be a bit of a lightning rod, won't you, for everything really. Mm. Um so I think fans would need to um, be aware of that and be supportive of whoever, if there is such a role in the future, whoever did that. Definitely. I mean, it, it'll come with a lot of pressure. And I know that there has been some scepticism expressed um, as part of the fan collective uh, from 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 some of the people in that meeting about whether maybe the, the current level of engagement and consultation is actually enough as well. And I know that's, you know, it's fantastic to see, but... There have been some other examples, haven't there? Like the spirit of Shankly um, with Liverpool. Yeah. What's happening there? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I understand the, the view that if um, engagement's good, what, why do you need it? Uh, that's that's not an illogical conclusion mm-hmm. to make. However, it's, it's when it's not good, yeah. which 
you know, uh, it's peaks and troughs with any club and no more so than Sunderland. And if you look at what happened with the big six, and um, they all have structured dialogue, um, but they didn't have fans on the board and nobody knew that they were going to make this move. And that's what it's to protect against, stuff like that. Stuff, uh, you know, when they're messing about with your heritage, with your sporting integrity, uh, with the history of your club. Uh, or jeopardising the future of your club. That's why you need a fan on the board, and that's massively important. Um, yeah, but Spirit of Shantley, they, they pushed the club. Um, and Spirit of Shantley's been a supporters trust for a long time, um, and they're very successful and one of the biggest. And uh, they have it sort of enshrined now and set in stone that there needs to be uh, that supporter engagement and that there is a supporter on the board. It's just regardless of who owns the club. This mm-hmm. is written in uh, you know, how the club will act. Um, I mean, time time will tell how successful that will be. Obviously, um, it's it's not it's not tried and tested, and um, I'm guessing with all these things, you know, whoever's creating these rules, there'll always be a bit of wiggle room. So we'll have to watch and see how that goes. But it's a it's a good step forward, and uh, there's other clubs looking to do that. Uh, Chelsea and Spurs as well uh, spring to mind. So it's um it's exciting and, and the the way the wind's blowing is uh it, it it's really like you say put a bit of a rocket booster under fan power and and uh, fan activism and the fan led review is it's just the timing is phenomenal really and mm. you talk about own goals in football that you could never score a bigger own goal than what the the so called big six have done because it's just had a huge effect in give it a lot more impetus, the fan-led review, that is, which is actually ongoing as we speak. Yeah. Um, so the FSA is uh, heavily involved in all of that. So, I mean, I was just going to just gonna mention that. I saw the other day that some of the consultations with, with fan groups in different parts of the country have started. It's not physically touring, is it? It's all going to be on Zoom, isn't it? Um, the, the evidence taken. Yes, that's right, Rich. There was a, there was an intention uh, to get around the country at one point, but with uh, not being exactly sure of what you know how what restrictions would be lifted and mm-hmm. when, and um, and also it's just more efficient. You're talking about volunteers meeting up with the um, MPs and, and the panel. Uh, it was just a lot easier to do it. So it's sort of being carved up by levels of the game. Um, so right from the top of the Premier League through to the national game, the women's game, and then there'll be other offshoot sort of networks that they'll be talking to, which is networks that actually already make up the structure of the FSA so community owned clubs there'll be some specific evidence from them um, from the fans for diversity group uh, that sort of thing so they'll get a really sort of rounded picture and feedback from fans uh, who were involved locally um, and sort of quite clued up because they'll be involved probably with the local supporters group or the local fanzine or whatever so, so the, the, the fans who have um probably met with a club and that sort of thing and understand the, the tensions of structured dialogue and all of that. So it should be should work really, really well, I think. So if an individual listener, an individual Sunderland fan wants to get involved in the process, is the best way for them to do that through Red and White Army, through the kind of the, the sports trust and the existing fan groups? Yeah, th- th- through Red and White Army or, or, or if they're members of any other groups, it's, it's about making your voice heard through that. And uh, there'll become a point where we had a bit of a push where we lobbied, fans were lobbying MPs everywhere around the mm-hmm. country and there'll probably come a point where we need to do that again as well. Um, so once the findings come through, not to prejudge that, but hopefully there'll be some good stuff in there. Then obviously the, the, the next phase is actually initiating that change, which will be a whole new challenge. Yeah. 
and we'll need fans to rally once more when it comes to that. Yeah, it'll be about getting getting um, MPs to make sure that there's parliamentary time given to to passing through any legislation that's needed and things like that. So there's definitely lots exactly lots more to do around that. So you've got we've got the new season coming up. Hopefully, fans going to be back. I've just been watching the cricket. There was eighteen thousand inside Edge Baston. It sounded amazing. The Euros with fans as well. What are the trust's plans for the new season? There was talk at the meeting of finding new ways to engage teenage fans who might have kind of dropped dropped away a little bit over the last eighteen months or so. Yes, that's right. Uh, one of the um, one of the subgroups that set up was looking at like the match day experience and looking at families and how. Uh, Families engage and how younger fans engage with the club. So uh, there'll be a representative from Red Might Army along with the other groups who will form a, a subgroup around that and try to work with the club to understand what what um, that demographic of fan wants and what's what's going to maximise the chances of them returning to, to football because a lot of people have obviously discovered other things or just fell out of the habit, realised they can live without it. Um, and you've sort of missed a generation really with how long mm. this has went on for. Um, you know, there was that sort of right to passage. You move from in, through your teenage years to start to go yourself and end up, you know, like in Royal Park would have been, you end up at the back of the football end sort of thing. You, there's a lot of fans have missed that. And that's part of when it grabs you as well, like, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the longer haul. So it's trying to look at all of that and look at what, what things the club can do. Again, on the pitch is what really matters here. But what can you do as fans when you can't influence the squad we recruit and how we play, where well, we can we can thankfully because of engagement influence everything else about the the match day. So from fan zones to what's offered, you know, in the on the concourse and what the concourses look like and making them feel more like our home rather than just slate grey cold places. So getting loads of artwork and all the flags and all, all that sort of stuff and just make it as good as it can be. Really, yeah, it's going to be really important, isn't it? And uh, what one big theme I think from what the club was saying in in those minutes is uh is that they're really keen to get fans to the ground earlier to keep us there longer after spending more money basically in on on their products in in their outlets um for me if that feels like it's going to be a really hard job for them um I know it was the focus of their kind of customer survey as well people are set I mean I I'm setting my ways around going to the match when I when I'm up in the northeast, especially in the winter. People are very keen to kind of get there with the you know minimum amount of time before the game starts, and then get home as quick uh, or get the pub as quick as they can. Do you do you see that that's uh, going to be a really hard sell for for many Sunderland fans? I think yeah, I think you're right. Definitely, it will be. But it, thankfully, the that was uh, touched on in the meet naturally, and they were quick to say, "Look, we're not." kind of fully compete with like the pub experience and we're not we're not going to replace that but if they can just be that little bit more attractive and just um and it not just be you know serve a few beers because we have to that sort of attitude mm. if they can put a bit of thought into it then you know even just some small gains first of all they're just offering something better and being respectable respectful to the uh customer base the fans um and if they can you know because of the numbers that go there it wouldn't take too much to to drive quite a decent bit of extra income, but you cannot you cannot replicate the, the pub, the pre match or post match pub on a yeah. on a concourse, especially in the winter. You could probably achieve it a bit more with a well thought out fans a fan zone, 
um, which would obviously require some indoor space as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is ways you could get that right. It might take quite a bit of expenditure to do it and a bit of land and property and all of that. But I could say there'd be potential there if they're really serious about that. No, I think I think it it could work. And we've seen out other grounds uh, as well. And, and obviously every, every ground's different. They've got a lot more land to play with around the stadium, I like, than, than some places. So it'd be really interesting to, to see what they come up with and, and you know, especially for people with kids like like we do, getting to the ground early yeah. and doing stuff in the fan zone is actually becoming part of my routine. And if there was more there, and if the if it was a little bit better organised than it has been in the past, there, uh, yeah, maybe we would stick around a bit more. So um, we've gone through Sunderland, we've gone through the the minutes. Uh, obviously, um, you've got a, a hat with uh, your day job with the 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 FSA, and we talked about the the um review but there's obviously other big issues going on in football at the minute with the euros uh with fans um if Sunderland fans are planning on on going along to any of the games in the euros how would the FSA advise Sunderland fans who are going to go to support the players who are choosing to take a knee before kickoff in particular because that's a big hot issue yeah there's been obviously a lot of discussion about this and um um lots of column inches taken up around it and I think from the FSA's point of view, we're, um, we're, we're calling on fans to, to support the players, uh, as England fans do brilliantly well, but support them throughout and from start to finish here and support support what they do. And the players feel that like it's the right thing to do. And um, it just seems such a bizarre thing to, to walk into the ground and the first thing you do is boo your own players, mm. uh, regardless. And um, the FSA are encouraging fans to, to not boo and, to, and for those that are... Uh, in tune with what the players are doing to to applaud. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you hear the boos more so than you hear the sort of silent respect that you would in the ground. So it's uh, it's an unfortunate thing to have to talk about. But yeah, it's 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 about support the players and support their their choice. Yeah, yeah, and totally. I mean, we we as a fanzine stand solidly behind anti-racism campaigns, and I know that the football supporters movement in general especially in in Britain. I mean, it's one of the remarkable things that just how um, fan-led a lot of the anti-racism has been throughout the history of English football. It's been the response of of fans that's moved the the dial on along with players. And it's the players and the fans really in football who make the game, don't we? We've been running a Fans for Diversity campaign for years now and um, had set up various different supporter groups in the LGBT community. Um, and across various ethnicity and uh, race, and we've 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 achieved some great things through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy Anwar Uden, um, my colleague who run who's been running that, has done some amazing stuff, and and have actually um, led the way on a lot of things. Um, and it's it's always been about you know um, celebrating all of that good stuff where fans do um, to, to gather around those issues but in a really positive way and it's about shining a light and all of that because whilst you hear the ugly stuff that makes the news there's far far more good stuff going yeah. on yeah um, and and that that's you know we try to, to focus on that without belittling or ignoring the, the the serious issues as they arise yeah absolutely so it's going to be a fun filled summer of football and then we've got transfers coming after that 
I'm uh, going to wish you all the best and thank you very much uh, for your time this evening, Dave. Thanks very much, Rich. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and listeners, uh, you can give us a, a, a like and a rating on and a share on your podcaster of choice and um, keep listening. We've got some interesting stuff coming up over the summer, which I'm sure you'll hear more about really soon. But uh, thanks a lot. Sarah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.